my guest today is Daryl Horowitz, who is a motivational speaker and author of the upcoming book, Guess Whose Turn It Is. I'm fascinated with his topic, anxious to hear more about the book. And last week, my husband and I just did a podcast about an experience we had with our grandchildren, which caused me to reflect on knowing, finding that appropriate boundary between being cautious, taking good care of children, but not so cautious that you actually end up denying them some learning and growth experiences. So, Daryl, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Emma Lou. And uh, would you like to hear my story then? I would love to hear your take on that fine line. Go ahead. Well, I grew up in a little bit different time, uh, as you can see. And I don't think the world was quite the way it is right now. But yet, my mother was very, very protective of me. She had actually seen her younger brother get hit by a bus when she was growing up. Now, the thing is, I had known her younger brother, and it never seemed to be anything wrong with him. So if he did get hit by the bus, it must have been very minimal. But for whatever reason, that did something to my mother, I believe, and made her very protective, or perhaps I should say overprotective of me growing up. I was with her morning, noon, and night. She watched me all the time. She would walk me to school and pick me up from school. She'd watch me when I'm playing across the street. We lived right across the street from the school. So I would play ball there, baseball, basketball, other sports. She'd always be watching me. Other kids would see it too. And unfortunately, kids could be cruel and You'd hear the term mama's boy. They might uh, slam you into a locker or do other things that kids do to pick on kids when they're different for whatever reason, whether it's something they did or in my case, how I was brought up. But it, it did affect me. It's something that I had to deal with. And it was also something I had no control over. There was nothing I could do about it. I never learned how to swim because my mother was afraid I would drown. I never learned how to ride a bike, but at least until I was 20 years old anyway, but, uh, because I might get hit by a car. If we were walking and my mother saw a dog, she would pull me away because a dog would bite us. So it's kind of like what I grew up with is anything you could be afraid of, be afraid, be very afraid. So she passed that fear on to you. Absolutely. That was ingrained into my head. Wow. So I can see that had a huge impact, not only on what you did, but it sounds like it had an impact on how you felt about yourself. I didn't feel great about myself growing up. I wasn't really happy with my childhood. A lot of times you hear uh, people say like, you know, my childhood was the best years of my life. And that wasn't in my case, and I, I used to think back in the day, if these are the best years of your life, then what do I have to look forward to? Oh, wow, yeah. And yet, you have 
you you overcame this. You've had some really amazing accomplishments in your life as an adult. Now, I want to hear about that journey. Well, I grew up very shy and quiet also. Uh, I was afraid to... A lot of everything I was kind of afraid of, I changed completely in all aspects from the fear I grew up with from my mother. Like, here, I'll give you, I'll go a little more recent on this part of it. One of the things I was afraid of, and back in the day, now I know a lot of your listeners and viewers might not know about this, but doctors used to make house calls. And when I was sick and my parents would call the doctor, I knew I was going to get a shot in my derriere, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like needles. I was afraid of needles. So I would actually crawl under the bed and hide when the doctor came over, you know, so he couldn't give me that shot that I was afraid of. Uh Now, of course, they always managed to get me out from under the bed and I got that shot, but I grew up afraid of needles. Back in 2008, I ended up getting sick. Uh, I started getting a pain in my lower back area. Uh, It wasn't back pain though. And they really didn't know what it was and they did all kinds of tests. And so now I am constantly getting shots. And I hate shots. Still, I don't like them. (laughs) Not like them. So they're trying to find out what's wrong with me. So they're doing all these tests. And I know when they like uh, the nurse would be giving me a shot. I remember one time they had a clown picture up there and I'd be like a kid pretending I'd be staring at the clown. Oh, wow. Look at the clown because I'm trying to do anything, but look at the nurse putting the needle into my arm. <laughs> I was terrified of it. Now, the one thing that might be a little strange is a lot of people are afraid of clowns and you're thinking, okay, why do you have a clown's picture up there? But that's another story. well another thought that occurs to me is some children if they in that restrictive upbringing would rebel well I definitely did that well let me tell you real quick how I overcame the the fear of the needle okay okay what I thought was is if I'm gonna be having all these tests I'm gonna have blood tests all the time they're putting needles in my arm I could either be terrified of it all the time or I could take that fear away and take the power away from that needle because the needle had power over me. So along with all the other things I did that we're going to get to that I overcame, what I started to do when they would draw the blood, instead of looking away, instead of hiding my eyes, I would stare right at them when they're putting the needle in my arm and I would watch it the entire time. And that, for me, took the power of the needle away from me and the fear of it. Now, it doesn't mean I liked it, but the fear was gone at that point, and I'm not afraid of needles anymore. I love that thought that you took the power of the needle away, because it's true. Anything you're afraid of has power over you. Absolutely. And rather than trying to avoid it, you just confronted it, took it straight on. That's great. And that's, thanks. That's from what I learned throughout my life and all of the challenges I overcame. And I know you were mentioning rebelling. And the way I was brought up, 
I wasn't allowed to do anything pretty much until after high school. I mean, I'd want to go out with my friends. Like I remember one time a couple of my friends came by unexpectedly and said, Hey, could Daryl come out? And my parents denied me and said, I couldn't. This was at nighttime. It was a, I believe it was a school night. I don't remember. It's a few years ago, but I wasn't able to go out that night. And normally the only time I could actually even get together with my friends outside of that school was on Saturdays. Uh, we would go bowling together and one of their fathers would actually pick me up and my parents would see him pick me up and they would drop me off right, you know, back home or back where we were meeting at. So that's the only time I was even allowed away from my parents. I spent all summer long with my mother every day, not with my friends, unless my friends happen to live on my block. If they didn't live on my block, I could never see them unless they came over. Wow. So that was my life growing up and it was very sheltered and I didn't get to experience many things. I didn't get to make decisions on my own because every decision was made for me and seemingly every thought was done for me. I wasn't able to do any of that. So therefore I couldn't really grow, learn from my mistakes and kind of grow up like a, a normal kid would grow up. So, and that's what I dealt with. So after a while you, at least I did, I became rebellious about it. I started to get high after high school uh, for a while. I mean, I was, I was messing myself up for a while because what I was looking for was something to make me feel better and not, and it was a temporary fix. You know, when you were high, so to speak, you felt better. But then as soon as you came back down, your normal life was real again. And that was the real reality, your normal life, not, not getting high. Yeah. And there became a certain point in my life where I said to myself, I could be nothing the rest of my life and blame the way I was raised. Or I could say, you know what, I can't change anything about that. But from now on moving forward, it's up to me and I could choose which life I want to have. Never have anything and blame the past or from now on, I'm the one who makes the decisions that move me forward. And fortunately, that's the path I decided to take. And I was able to overcome quite a bit of uh, my growing up years. That sounds like it was a life-changing decision, a pivotal point. And from there, what was your life like? Well, I still had a lot of growing to go do. Like in high school, for instance, I was very shy. I had one date. And my one date turned out really bad. Uh, my mother had the girl's phone number. And she called up the girl's house asking where her baby was, so to speak. Me? Oh, no. I don't know if she used those words. But it was, it, it, that's how it was taken. And that's how word got out at school, too. And I was getting laughed at again for what happened on my one and only date in high school. So, I was again, I was very shy and quiet. And then I ended up, uh, after high school, I started working for an insurance company called Bankers Life and Casually. It was a really big insurance company in Chicago at the time. Uh, they had a bunch of buildings, and they also had a co-ed softball league that I played in because I love sports. And mm -hmm. I remember one time, this story, by the way, was published in the Think Positive edition of Chicken Soup for the Soul in 2015. 
Awesome. And the story is called The Only Way to Fail is by Not Trying. So I was on second base and somebody got a base hit and I could have scored a run, but I thought the girl playing third base was beautiful and I stopped there and kind of tried to talk to her a little bit. <laughs> but as I was saying, I was kind of shy. I wasn't, I wasn't really a smooth talker at the time. So we talked for a little bit, uh, the inning ended, and I never went looking for her at work. Never went, because she didn't work in my building, so I never went searching her out. So now we could fast forward about six months. I'm no longer working for the company. I'm driving my car one day, when suddenly I see a vision in front of me. And you know who it was, Emma Lou? It was the girl on third base. You got it. Very good guess. <laughs> I couldn't believe it myself. So I called out her name. And when she recognized me, she came over and started talking. So we were doing a little bit of small talk. And next thing I know, or I don't know how I did it. Actually, I asked her where she was heading to. And she goes, she was going to meet her mother at Joel Foods. And I said, would you like a ride? completely unlike me. It was kind of surprising. And what was even more surprising or to me, shocking, was she said, sure. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh my God, she said yes. Oh my God, she said yes. <laughs> then I'm going, she's in my car, she's in my car. What do I do? I go, she's in my car. I can't believe she's in my car. I can't, this is all going through my head. <laughs> I'm not believing it. And <laughs> so, I'm kind of even staring at her as I'm driving. I can't believe she's in my car. I can't believe she's in my car. I almost hit a car in front of me. Close anyway. So it was only a six block ride. So it really didn't take that long. And so we got there. Any idea what I did at that point? Well, I would hope to think you got her phone number or made arranged to see her again. But I have a feeling that's not what happened. Yeah, we didn't uh, get married and live happily ever after because I asked for her phone number. <laughs> what happened? Actually, I don't know what happened. What I do know is I never asked her for her phone number. But I could have said to her or what I should have said to her was, hey, you know what? It was great seeing you again. Do you think I could call you sometime? You know, she could have said, not if you're the last guy on the planet. No, I prefer women. Or she could have said, hey, here's my number. Why don't you give me a call? Yep. But I never asked her the question. I never found out the answer. And I never saw her again. And in fact, I don't even remember her name. But that girl completely changed my life. It really bothered me. And I thought about it. I'm going, why didn't I ask her for her number? What's the worst thing that could happen if I did? Mm -hmm. And I ended up writing down on a three by five card. I had the most beautiful woman in the world in my car. All I had to do was ask from now on. The only way I could try is if I don't fail. And I put that in my wallet. And every time I was afraid and not just to meet a girl, but to do anything in life, I pulled that out and I read it and it goes, as long as I try, I can't fail. And I realized, and that's what really changed my life that the success, succeeding was actually trying. The result didn't matter, trying did. 
and I could always try, that took away any pressure. Now I could go after whatever I wanted in life because I knew I couldn't possibly fail. And that's what allowed me to achieve so many things I did and to change from the way I grew up into the person I became as an adult and the person I am today. Well, you had a, a career on the radio. Well, you, you mentioned the insurance company. So you well, were in sales? Well, actually, I ended up leaving them. I ended up getting an automobile sales. Okay. All right. I sold cars for a long time. I sold BMWs at my last uh, job. I was salesman of the year a lot of times throughout the years because uh, I got, here's somebody who couldn't talk. Here's somebody who was afraid to talk. I guess I got good at talking. Yes, I would say you did. And, and not being afraid to ask the question. You know, the answer to any question you don't ask is no. So you overcame that. Absolutely. I overcame that. Like you mentioned, too, I, I've done a radio show for over 15 years. It's a sports radio show on the weekends. It's mainly talking about Chicago sports, their professional teams, Cubs, Sox, Chicago Bulls, Bears, stuff like that. Uh -huh. that that's a passion of mine. I've written for all kinds of websites and papers regarding sports. Uh, I was one of the most commented on writers on Bleacher Report. Uh, I wrote for the Cubs Vine Line magazine. Like, as I mentioned, I was published in Chicken Soup for the Soul, and I've got another story that's about to come out in September 24th in their new edition of Think Positive. This one's called Playing All the Angles, uh, about uh, comparing the game of pool to life and how when you have obstacles in front of you, whether they're on the table or they're in your real life, do you just stop, don't proceed, or do you find a way to get around them? And I recognize that from playing pool in my building that I moved into about a year ago, how it actually does compare to life, and that's what motivated me to write this story. And fortunately, Chicken Soup for the Soul liked it and decided they're gonna publish it. And Looking forward to that coming out soon. And what I find really intriguing is you know, we think of someone, an expert on sports as someone who grew up playing sports, but it sounds like you did that later on. Well, I did grow up playing sports. Okay, you did. It's, well, here's the thing. I was across the street. Either my mother was watching me oh. or after work some days, my father would play with me. So if my father was playing with me, my mother didn't have to watch me. She felt I was okay then. Okay, okay. One way or the other, I was, I was technically being watched. But one of them was interactive and the other one was just being watched. Yeah, yeah. So you, you were still able to play sports just with careful, yeah. Although I could not play Little League because they did use a league ball and uh, I might get hurt with the league ball. Okay. I could play with a rubber ball, that, but not a league that's ball. That's what I was thinking is, you know, there's mm -hmm. a risk when you play sports. So, but you overcame all of that. I'm, I'm very impressed. Looking forward to that book. And I know in that book, you're giving, guess whose turn it is. Tell us why you wrote that book. What was your intent? What was it you wanted to share? Well, I knew what I grew up with. I knew everything that I had to overcome. 
And I always thought, well, if I could overcome it, anybody could overcome it. They just have to believe they can do it. And they, maybe if they read a story from somebody else that was able to do it, that would encourage them to find a way to overcome whatever obstacles in front of them too. So that was my thought with that. And what I ended up doing with it, because I had previously written the book without that title, really the title was more like, if you try, you can't fail, right. realistically. Yeah. And I ended up reading a couple of self-help books that were more like stories and it incorporated the lessons in the stories. And I really found them fun to read and really interesting and I liked it. And I also found it as a challenge for me. Uh, I'm really good at writing sports. I could pretty much write sports in my sleep. But writing this was a whole different thing. That was a lot more difficult. And what I wanted to do with it, I wanted to make it as easy to read as my articles are when I write sports. Because no matter how good the book is, if it's boring, if you don't want to hear what's next and you put it down, it's not going to help anybody. Yes, that's true. So I wanted to make it where you can't wait to hear what's next. It's interesting. And it's page turner. You keep on turning and turning. What is there next? And that's what the story about this young girl, like she's actually college age, all the things that she had to overcome. And some of those things are incorporated in my life for people I know. Because a lot of times that's where we go of things we know or things we've learned. And mm-hmm. that's what I incorporated into the story. And I'm hoping that people are going to find it obviously helpful and interesting and that it could help them achieve what they want in life, just like I've been able to achieve in my life. Yes, yes. But you also offer some valuable tips that anyone could use in how to improve their life. And I understand you have, because our our listeners are mainly parents, but this could apply to anyone. You have five tips that would help um, anyone improve their life and would help parents if they knew they, they use these tips, they could help improve the life of their child too, right? Well, absolutely. What I was going to say is even if this is for parents, they could pass it on to their children because children could definitely learn from their parents. And that's a lot of what they do learn is from their parents. So yes, from somebody who grew up, And what I've learned, hopefully other parents could pass this on and help their kids have the best life they can possibly have. Yes, I agree. So what's your first tip? Okay, kind of going along with that story, I I think you mentioned the word no and people getting rejected. And I was fearful of getting rejected. Don't fear rejection. And don't fear the word no. Because, again, the only way you could fail is if you don't try So as soon as you tried, you already succeeded. So don't look at it as rejection. And don't look at the word no as a bad word. Because every time you hear, this is a thought that could help people not fear the word no. If you think about it, every time I hear the word no, I'm one closer to yes. Mm -hmm. I take the way the negative of the word no and make it a positive. Now you could go like, oh, wow, I got to know. That's great. Now I'm one closer to yes. You changed the way you're thinking about it. Yeah, it's it's just information. Mm -hmm. I like that. It's not a rejection. It's just information. Absolutely. So 
if it encourages you to keep on going forward, to keep on going after what you want, not letting you know a no stop you, then nothing's going to stop you. You're going to get what you want in life if you keep going after it. That's true. That's true. And what's the second tip? Well, a lot of people don't even get to the point of rejection or hearing the word no because they care what other people think and someone tells them they can't do something. So, wow, they told me I can't do that. I guess I shouldn't even try to do that. I'm not going to try to do that because they're telling me I can't. So instead of going for what they want, going after their dreams, they're letting what other people think stop them from even having a chance to achieve those dreams. And so I would like people to generally, and I know I do, I don't really care what others think. Now, what I mean, I'll listen to what people say. You could always, there's, there's might be some valuable feedback there that you could utilize, but don't let somebody stop you from going after what you want in life and just immediately shut things down because they say you're not going to be able to do that. Think of what we have in this world today. And if everybody that invented everything, including what we're on right now, this computer, when people told them you can't do that, mm -hmm. we wouldn't even be communicating this way right now, would we? No, we would not. So I like that. Then don't, don't let other people choose for you. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And what's your third tip? Well, you are what you think. If you think you can't do something, you're absolutely right. If you think you can do something, you're also absolutely right. You are whatever you think. And part of it is too, sometimes I'll give you an example of when I work out. I tell myself, I'm going to do this many repetitions of this particular exercise. And when I get to that amount, I'm immediately, I could feel myself. I have nothing left in me. So if I say I could do 15, let's say perfect push-ups, that's what I'm able to do. When I get to that point, I'm going to conk out. But I've actually done a little test a few different times. Well, maybe more than a few, but. I'll tell myself when I'm maybe two or three away from the total I had in my mind, I'll say, you know what? You could do two or three more than that total you just told yourself you could do. And when I get to that point where I'm normally going to conk out, I'm able actually to do that two or three more because I, you limit yourself by what you think, by what you tell yourself. And if you allow yourself to go past that point, what it's kind of doing, you could kind of go wherever you want as long as you don't limit yourself, whether it's doing push-ups or whether it's trying to achieve whatever you're trying to achieve in life. Don't put a limit on yourself and know that you could always go past that limit that you might have set up for yourself. So whatever you think you can do, you can do. Mm -hmm. Don't stop yourself by thinking you're not good enough. You're not good enough for somebody. You're not able to do this. Don't be the person that puts a stop sign up to yourself. Wow. Yeah, that's key. And what's the fourth tip? Well, anything you do, 
if you want to be good at it, you've got to practice. Mm-hmm. When you see like, a, let's say dancers, let's say you see a dance routine, a group of people together. When you see how in sync they are, do you think they just walked out there and just started dancing? They're all perfect synchronization. Or do you think practice, practice and practice? Hours of practice, yes, yes. When you hear a pianist like playing like Beethoven, or do you think they just went out there and just hitting the keys? Or do you think they spent hours and hours and months and months and years and years of practice to get to that point? Yes. Anything you do, anything you want to be successful at, you have to practice. Like just with me, for instance, let's say I'm successful at talking. Well, I've been talking for quite a long time. And I'm not talking about right now here, but just in general, (laughs) I've been talking for quite a long time, whether it's in sales, whether it's on the radio, I've been on TV before. And by practicing, the one thing I like to say, and people might take this the wrong way, but I never think. And I'm really proud of that. Because I know when I'm talking, I know whatever I'm going to say is going to turn out okay. Because I've practiced it so much, I'm used to knowing how to say the right thing. Uh Uh, When I do my radio show and I'm interacting with a guest or uh, my co-host, and they'll put something out there, I immediately have a retort for it. I can't sit there with dead air time and go, um, um, uh, um, and be thinking about it. I have to react immediately. Yes. When I was in sales, if my customer asked me a question outside of how do you put the engine together or take it apart? Because then I would draw a blank and I would not have anything to say. <laughs> but if there's any question regarding the sale, I'd always have an answer for them. And while sometimes I might hesitate and seemingly mull it over, I immediately knew what the answer was because I had done it over and over and so often, there wasn't really anything anyone could do to stump me. Uh-huh. So anything you want to do, anything you want to get good at, you have to practice over and over again. And if you could get to the point where you don't have to think, you're going to be really good at it. Yeah, like, like tying your shoes or a touch typing. Yeah. You believe it or not, by the way, Emily, many years ago, I used to actually sell lady shoes. And I was really bad at tying shoes. It was almost embarrassing. People would actually laugh at me doing it. So here I was doing the job for a few years and I couldn't even really tie shoes. So I never learned that. Well, I learned it now, but I'm still not really that good at it. But I, I haven't practiced enough. I think that's the problem. Yes, yes. That's why I wear slip-ons most of the time. Yes. <laughs> okay, and what's the fifth tip? Well, this is something, too, especially parents could tell their kids. And, I mean, a lot of things are really difficult for kids growing up today. I mean, it's a different world. You have social media. Uh, you have all types of areas where, you know, a lot of kids get bullied nowadays. When I experienced it, it was one-on-one, face-to-face. It wasn't over the internet and the computer or all kinds of other places it can be. So it's a different world right now, and it's difficult for the kids growing up. And 
one of the things I think parents could instill in their kids that it's okay to be different. You don't have to be like everyone else. You don't have to conform to the norm. You are special. You are who you are and be proud of who you are. Don't be afraid or embarrassed because you're different. You think different. You dress different. You act different. It's okay to be different. And I mean, I don't know if I could tell someone that don't let what other people say about you bother you. I know I said, don't care what others think. You can incorporate it into that. But I mean, sometimes for kids, it could be a little more difficult when their peers do things like that to them. But it sounds like it begins with accepting yourself. Well, I think that's like exactly you, what it is. Yeah, you learn to accept yourself, even though you felt you were different from the other children when you were growing up. You learn to accept yourself. Absolutely. I said, and it is okay to be different. You don't have to follow the crowd. Maybe like, if you're different, maybe if you're doing things different, maybe people will want to follow you, and you'll be the one leading the crowd. I know um, a lot of parents worry if their child has ADHD and, or, and they're finding that a lot of your CEOs, you know, that it's actually an asset. Having that energy, you know, can really actually be a benefit. I mean, people grow up with all kinds of, how many people with all kinds of disabilities have overcome them and have achieved greatness in whatever field it might be. Um, yesterday, I actually was watching America's Got Talent, and the final person they had on was a young man who was born blind. He was also autistic, and he played a beautiful piece on the piano along with singing that was incredible and got the whole audience, along with the judges, standing up, giving him an ovation. Yes. And, I mean... Think about when you look at yourself, when, when you get down on yourself, when you think, woe is me, look at all I've had to go through, look at a bad day I had. And then you look at other people and the things that they've had to live with, they've had to overcome. Like if, if you can see, if you have your legs, if you could hear, why don't you be thankful for everything you do have and not put down, like, you know, Oh, woe is me. This bad thing happened to me. Well, this is life. Things are going to happen. You can overcome them. But think of all the good things you have. Think of your blessings rather than what's wrong. Think of the positives. So it sounds like in this book, uh, guess whose turn it is. You're, you're telling a story. You're using a story, but you're also interweaving all these lessons you have learned to your life. Absolutely. And I've had a lot of lessons I've learned in my life and things that I have overcome. Uh, it is wonderful. Wonderful. So they, our listeners should watch for your book, Guess Whose Turn It Is. And thank you so much, Daryl. I love, I love hearing your story. And, and next week, where I'm interviewing another storyteller who has found that how it improves communication. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Daryl. Emma Lou, thank you so much for having me. 
I appreciate it. And I, if I could help one person, that would be great. And uh, obviously I'd love to help everyone, anyone I could that will listen. All right. Well, it sounds like you've done a lot of good with your speaking and your writing. So thank you and have a great day. You too, Emma. Take care. Bye-bye.